Hello, everybody. I'm Vance with VegCast 69. VegCast. Feel free to make your own 69-based joke here. VegCast. A full menu from first to last. VegCast. That's right. We are back with another full menu of vegetarian podcastry from Philadelphia. And this time out, we're going to be talking with Virginia Messina, a vegan registered dietitian and author of several books on the topic of vegetarianism and veganism. And she has something to say about fat, about fats in the vegetarian or vegan diet and about the trends uh, thereupon to try to eliminate all added fats and uh, what we should actually be doing uh, with our diet there. And speaking of trends, we're also going to take a hard-hitting look at the trend of vegan drinks, uh, which is a monthly meetup for vegans that's uh, occurring in cities across the continent. Uh, and we will be stopping in at the one in Philadelphia to uh, get get the lowdown on what's really going on there. And uh, talking with some of the organizers, we'll also hear some music, some more music from Amanda Rogers, whom you heard a few podcasts ago. And, of course, as always, we have a science fact. And I'd like to remind you that VegCast is sponsored by Luna and Larry's Coconut Bliss, who say there are many ways to achieve bliss we use coconuts. So sit back, relax, and crank up your MP3 player as we serve to you this 69th edition of That's the sound of the steps. I'm walking up the steps in Horizons, where we haven't had our audio recorder since back before they opened in Philadelphia, back when Rich was uh, pointing to the construction debris and saying he thought maybe there was a dead body under there. Well, they've got that out of there. They've been up and running for a few years now in Philadelphia, and we're dropping back in to find out about Vegan Drinks Philly, which happens here every month. Let's listen in now. Ed Coffin, we are here at Horizons for Vegan Drinks Philly, and you're going to explain this whole phenomenon to our VegCast listeners, right? Uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to attempt to. <laughs> all right. So, vegan, first of all, there's uh, Vegan Drinks Philly, and there's also Green Drinks Velo- Delaware Valley. It seems like a similar phenomenon. Do you happen to know Green Drinks, Vegan Drinks, which one... Started, yeah, like vegan drinks actually um, was modeled after green drinks. Um, apparently, I think what had happened was a, a lot of vegans were showing up at green drinks events. But you know what happens at the green drinks events is you get a lot of these people that are really into the environment and sustainability, and they think that you know humane, free-range meat is the way to go. So the vegans weren't really resonating with the people that were at the green drinks events. So they. Um, you know, they decided just to start their own event, and it's really okay. taken off. And when you say they decided, I mean, were were you in on that? Did it start in one particular city, and then you said, "Oh, we got to do that in Philadelphia"? Or what? How yes, that? yeah, that's it. Actually, started. Um, there's a website. It's a, a blog. It's called SuperVegan.com, and they have a bunch of um, writers that contribute. So, a couple yeah. of the writers in May of 2008 decided to start the first vegan drinks um, in New York. And I think the turnout had been pretty good, and they, you know, they continued to do it for a couple months. And then um, Vegan Drinks Philly started in uh, 2009 in January, 
and I think we were about the fourth or fifth city to actually sign on um, to doing this, and you know, it's been going strong here in Philadelphia ever since then. We have continually at least, you know, 40 to 100 people showing up on a monthly basis, and I think now if you go to the website, which is vegandrinks.org, you can see the list and you can find out, um, you know, if your city has one, and I think right now there's about 15 to somewhere between 15 and 20 cities that are currently hosting these events every month, and it's just growing, so. Great. And, I mean, here at Horizons, uh, you know, there's a special vegan drinks Philly menu um, that has special appetizers and things for tonight for the vegan drinks people. Is that, like, I mean, does it, do you happen to know elsewhere, does it vary in terms of what the establishment, I mean, not every city has a Horizons, for one thing. Right, exactly. And we're very lucky here in Philadelphia. I think we are still one of the only vegan drinks that is at an exclusively vegan restaurant. Um, Even in Manhattan, I'm pretty sure the restaurant they've been hosting at is non-vegan. I think they have some vegan options there. Um, But it really varies from city to city. There's no um, strict guidelines on, you know, if somebody wants to start a vegan drinks event, it's pretty much, um, you know, up to that person to coordinate everything. So um, as far as that goes, it can really be at any restaurant that's willing to have it. And, you know, unfortunately, not every vegan restaurant is really set up to hold an event like this. Um, a lot of vegan restaurants don't have alcohol um, and things like that. I mean, it's a lot do, but a lot of the ones that do aren't really set up um, appropriately to host an event like this. So, you know, we're really um, pretty unique here in Philadelphia to have it at an exclusively vegan restaurant. And did, I mean, Philadelphia actually is lucky enough to have several exclusively vegan restaurants. Were you the, the guy that said... All right, we're going to have this in Philadelphia. It's got to be at Horizons. I mean, is that... Yeah, Horizons was my first um, pick. And, you know, I uh, reached out to Kate and Rich, who own Horizons. And, you know, they decided that they thought it was a great idea as well. And we figured we'd give it a go. And um, so I started planning it in January. The first event actually took place in February. And, um, you know, we thought maybe like 5 to 20 people would show up. So we put it in the um, a room that's located in the downstairs area that holds maybe a maximum of about, you know, 25 to 30 people. Right. And we had well over 100 people show up that first night. So now we've kind of moved into pretty much taking over the entire restaurant for the yeah. event on a monthly basis. Great. And before I let you go, we should let our podcast listeners know that if they want more Ed Coffin... They can uh, they can get your podcast in those. Uh, what, what is the schedule of that thing anyway? It's it's monthly actually, it and I have been pretty committed to doing it monthly. All right. So if people go on iTunes, they can um, just search Eating Consciously podcast, and that'll come up. You know, if anyone's um, in or around the Philadelphia area, they can go to vegandrinksphilly.com and they can find out about the next event and if they're looking for a vegan drinks event in their own city or they're thinking of starting one they can just go to vegandrinks.org to find out more information about that okay great Ed Coffin thank (laughs) you for filling us in about vegan drinks Philly and vegan drinks in general alright thank you great being with you alright okay and now having had a little aperitif to uh, get us Loosened up and ready, we're going to turn to our feature interview with Virginia Messina. Okay, joining us now on VegCast is Virginia Messina, 
uh, the vegan RD on Twitter, a registered dietitian who is a vegan. Uh, Virginia, thanks for being here, and welcome to VegCast. Oh, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. And uh, we wanted to talk to you because of, uh, I mentioned Twitter because we were having some conversations back and forth uh, a few podcasts ago about the topic of uh, diet and uh, especially low-fat diets and uh, health and so forth. And uh, you, you made some strong statements that I thought we should get uh, try to get into the podcast here about how we should stay away from uh, kind of recommending uh, people try to cut out uh, all the all the extra all the added fat from their diet and so uh, here we are and uh, I can't argue with your uh, credentials you certainly know your stuff in terms of nutrition but what really is the problem from uh, for telling people to go get as low fat as they can well you know I think that um, I, I, I think that the average person perceives vegan diet as being some huge sacrifice, as, as being difficult and restrictive and so we don't want to do anything that unnecessarily promotes that perception. So if we start introducing restriction, restrictions like very low fat um, uh, to, to a vegan diet, it doesn't, there's no health reason for eliminating all fats from the diet. It doesn't help animals in any way for us to eliminate all plant fats from the diet. Um, and so we end up creating barriers for people who uh, might become unsure whether they really want to adopt a vegan diet because it's even more restrictive than what they think. Okay, but I mean, just play devil's advocate here. There, we can agree, I think, that too much fat in the diet, uh, whether it's animal fat or plant fat, is going to be bad. So, uh, you know, you want to, to take it down to a certain level, but you're saying that a after a certain point, you're not getting any health benefit from cutting out more fat. That's right. Um, it, you know, and it's a very controversial subject. There's a lot of research in this area. It's, I think a lot of, I think people think that uh, taking all the fats out of your diet, for example, will reduce your cholesterol. And it's true that taking animal fat out of your diet is a really good way to reduce cholesterol. But if you replace that animal fat with plant fats, your cholesterol is still going to go down. It's going to go down just as much. And in fact, a lot of times you end up with a better cholesterol profile because the good cholesterol, the HDL cholesterol, goes up on a higher fat diet. Okay. Well, now... I mean, it, some advocates uh, will say, you know, you feel so much better uh, doing this. You, it, it really is kind of a positive feedback loop. You don't think that there's, there might be a rationale there for uh, getting people who are trying something to, uh, you know, to get a real effect out of it that, that makes them want to, uh, to keep on doing it. You think it'll just put more people off in the long run? Well, you know, you know, it's it's really hard to argue with, uh, you know, when people say that when they eat a certain way, it makes them feel better. It's pretty hard to argue with that, and um, and uh, you know, and I certainly don't want to. If people if if people feel, um, you know, that their health is better, that they have more energy when they're when they're eating a low fat diet, I can't, you know, I can't tell them to that that they shouldn't be doing that. I don't want us to promote that as the best way to eat a vegan diet, though. Because when we do that, we are, um, you know, as I said, we're, we're just, we're, we don't want to make a vegan diet more restrictive than it needs to be. We want people to know that vegan diets are fun, that they can saute their vegetables in olive oil, that they can have dessert. We want to entice people to eat a vegan diet and make them realize that it's not a big sacrifice. Okay. Well, do you have any specifics in terms of, you would say, 
this is the optimum way to eat a, a vegan diet, or is it just kind of a, a wide window there of, uh, of different approaches? I mean, you, you have um, co-authored some of the ADA's uh, position papers on uh, the health uh, value of vegetarian and vegan diets, so uh, is there, you know, if you had to tell people one thing, one way to eat, can you <laughs> boil that all down into a nutshell? It's not that hard to boil it down, actually. It's, it's, you know, I think everybody, whether they're promoting low-fat diets or, or uh, you know, a diet that, or like a more Mediterranean-style vegan diet, I think everybody agrees that we want people to eat um, whole plant foods for the most part, and that's where we want to get our fats from uh, as, as much as possible, from foods, from higher-fat whole foods like nuts and seeds, which are very strongly linked to improved health, especially um, especially tree nuts. There's a real tons of research showing um, decreased cholesterol, decreased heart disease, decreased cancer among people who eat more of these foods. And then higher fat foods like olives and, and avocado are you know fine to include in the diet. Um, if people are going to use some added fats, which I think is just fine, and which I do. Small amounts of olive oil or canola oil. Um, I use when I need a, a more solid fat. I use a little bit of coconut oil, and um, you know, just and and you know what everybody would tell you. Of course, lots and lots of fruits and vegetables, and uh, just a varied diet that has lots of whole grains, beans, fruits, vegetables, a little bit of added fat, and some dessert. Okay. Well, I, I don't know if this is uh, particularly connected to. Um, not making eating vegan seem uh, too difficult, but mm -hmm. uh, you also uh, have recently gotten into some conversations online, as have we all, about uh, whether uh, so whether so-called vegetarianism should be promoted or advocated, or whether we should just always tell people uh, go directly to vegan. Now, as somebody who's you know uh, written books with vegetarian in the title mm -hmm. um, I was wondering did you write those as a vegetarian or did you write those you know having already intended to convey a vegan message but trying to put it under this umbrella um, well the, you know the textbook that, that I'm working on uh, does have uh, it doesn't even have the word vegan in the title it just has vegetarian and that's because that's a, you know that's a book for health professionals and so it looks at plant-based diets in general, both vegetarian and vegan diets. For the most, uh, some of my books that I've, that I've written in the past, I did write before I was a vegan, so I wasn't really focusing on, um, on vegan diet as, as the best way to eat. As far as whether we should use the word vegetarian or not, um, I try to always, um, I try to always tell people that if we want to eliminate animal suffering and obviously eliminate animal use, the only way to do that is through a vegan lifestyle. If they're not ready for that, um, if they refuse to do it, then I will promote whatever will get them to eat less animal products. Okay. Well, let me ask you, do you have uh, an opinion, just as long as we're talking about tactics and strategy here, uh, on some of the, the latest uh, you know, controversies in terms of whether they, they do or don't help people move toward a, a vegan diet. I'm thinking uh, specifically of a lot of uh, the, the PETA uh, billboards and, and things. Uh, there's the most recent one when we're recording this is this uh, thing, Save the Whales, that seems to offend uh, a lot of women. And there's also uh, a lot of talk going around about Michael Vick, who just got signed by 
the Eagles here in Philadelphia. Um, are those are any of those uh, you know clear uh, yes or no kind of things for for the movement? Or do you have a <laughs> no? They're not clear yes or no kinds of things. Um, I have. Gosh, you're getting me to talk about PETA, huh? I wasn't expecting this. Well, you can skip over to Michael Vick if you want. It's <laughs> not any better. Um, you know, I I disagree with a lot that. Um, that a lot of animal uh, rights and animal welfare organizations do. I don't agree with all of PETA's tactics, and um, some of them make me really uncomfortable, and I think that they're counterproductive. And so, and it's very difficult for me for me to support that. And I and I understand why people get really upset about some some things that some animal rights organizations do. I just basically try to ignore it. I don't promote those organizations. I don't promote their materials and um, just try to put the focus on people who are doing work that I can really agree with and that I can support. All right. Well, I guess nobody's going to argue with that one. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I didn't mean for it to be a cop-out, but it's a, you know, it's a controversial topic. And, yeah. and, um, and I just... I, I, I just don't want us to be putting all of our energy into worrying about what different organizations are doing that, that we don't agree with, because there's so much work to be done in animal rights and, and vegan activism. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really easy to get sidetracked. Um, right now you, you're working on this, uh, this book for dietitians, and uh, sorry, this is a new edition of a book that, uh, that you already did, is that right? That's right. I've done two editions of it. It's called The Dietitian's Guide to Vegetarian Diets, and it's a, um, it's actually a textbook. It's been used in um, seminars and classrooms of, you know, teaching vegetarian diets. Uh, so it's very sciencey. It's 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 just basically a comprehensive overview of all of the nutrition information that's been published since the 1950s on vegetarian and vegan diet. Okay, and that is uh, kind of for for academic circles. Are you? Do you have anything else in the works for the uh, the masses of America, or just? I do, to, I know? do, but I can't talk about them quite yet. Uh, well, <laughs> we will have to check back in uh, later with you then and uh, find out what you're up to there. But uh, right now we're out of time here on Vegcast. So, uh, Virginia Messina, thanks for uh, talking with us today. Okay, thank you so much, fans. It's my pleasure.
That's Amanda Rogers with this beauty from the album Heartwood. We mentioned back on VegCast 66 uh, when we played another song of hers, seeing Amanda Rogers at Summerfest this year, and I am uh, convinced she's a rising talent in uh, the musical landscape of America, so check out that album Heartwood. And in the meantime, while you're doing that, I'm going to be turning the pages of the science Our science fact for VegCast 69 is nitrous oxide, the last laugh. And this is uh, about a study from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And the article is actually from Earth to Philly, which is a blog that I edit in my day job. And for once, I'm just going to read read it from there because uh, nobody else seems to have this take. The advantage to you, the listener, is that rather than reading uh, another journalist's uh, take on a study and then editorializing about it, you get the whole thing all wrapped up in one swift package. So we're going to start. Scientists at the NOAA released results of a study showing that nitrous oxide is now the top human-caused source of ozone layer depletion, knocking chlorofluorocarbons, CFCs, out of the top spot. The post continues that this could be a major policy flashpoint. Because unlike CFCs, there has to date been no regulation of nitrous oxide as an ozone threat. And with the release of this report, we should see increased discussion of the role of agriculture and specifically animal agriculture in terms of global environmental threats. Why agriculture? What about all that laughing gas uh, at the dentist, which goes in, does its crazy work on the brain, and then is exhaled into the air? Well... In relative terms, the uh, overall use of nitrous oxide as a pain suppressant is a drop in the bucket compared to agricultural sources of nitrous oxide emissions. According to the EPA's U.S. Emissions Inventory 2009, the biggest human-caused emission source for nitrous oxide, far outpacing all the others combined, is agricultural soil management. Direct use as an inhalant, whether legit or otherwise, represents less than 2%. Of the total. Now, when you look further into what the EPA defines as agricultural soil management, that includes fertilization, application of managed livestock manure and other organic materials such as sewage sludge, deposition of manure on soils by domesticated animals in pastures, rangelands, and paddocks, uh, production of nitrogen fixing crops and forages, retention of crop residues, and drainage and cultivation of organic cropland soils. So animal manure from livestock plays a pretty large part in this category of emission, in addition to having its own category, manure management, which ranks fourth out of the 15 categories of nitrous oxide emission sources. Uh, And I mentioned for Earth to Philly readers, though VegCast listeners are certainly aware of this after our uh, podcast with Stefan Grolo, that many people believe farm animal manure is a necessary component of effective fertilization, but it isn't. Add to this the fact that a huge portion of plant agriculture is feed crops 
for food animals, and the latter issue is certainly one that will need more investigation by scientists as well as regulators to exactly quantify manure's effect in this area. And this is, of course, all on top of the uh, well-established prominent role of animal agriculture in causing global warming. Uh, And I want to be clear on this. We're talking about ozone layer depletion uh, in specific here, although nitrous oxide is also a greenhouse gas. Uh, And it's one, by the way, that is 300 times stronger than carbon dioxide. So uh, regulating this for the one obviously would have an impact on the other. And the article uh, finishes up, if we're serious about stopping ozone layer depletion and fighting climate change, governments will enact policies to address this major contribution to both phenomena. Sure, that could eventually mean it's harder to get laughing gas at the dentist, but right now what makes the most sense in terms of the raw numbers is to greatly reduce the amount of manure being generated and used by the agricultural sector. In other words, reducing the number of animals raised for food. And there you have it. I don't need to go and further and explain uh, how, what I think about this because it's my own writing. So a little bit of a refreshing change of pace for you on this edition of Science Fact. Okay, that is going to screw the jar lid onto the third VegCast for August. And we will be back with you soon with another VegCast. Before that, though, I have to point out Labor Day weekend is coming up if you happen to be in Philadelphia. This Saturday, you can see me uh, as well as other local vegetarian performers and vegetarian celebrity international Dan Peraro in the Veggie Cabaret 2, the second Veggie Cabaret that we've done. You may have uh, remembered me uh, mentioning that a couple years back when we had our feature Dan Peraro interview. He's going to be back in town. I'm going to be emceeing. We're going to be doing a, a bunch of different stuff, dueling cartoons, something that we did back in Summerfest in, uh, gosh, it must have been 2006 or so. Uh, so that is definitely going to be a good time. I hope everybody will come out to that. That is Saturday evening, September 5th at the Rotunda. You can find more information at the uh, Public Eye Artists for Animals website. That will be in our show notes so that you have all of that information before you. But right now, we got to go. I want to thank Luna and Larry's Coconut Bliss. No soy, no dairy, no comparison. It's the evolution of ice cream. I also want to thank Ed Coffin for talking with us about Vegan Drinks Philly. And, of course, I want to thank Virginia Messina for talking with us about vegetarian and vegan diets and the promotion of same. And, of course, I should not forget to mention that I want to thank you, the VegCast listener, and or subscriber, you can find us at iTunes. And until next time, get out there and live like you mean it. Veg-cast.